0: Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com acquire. That's linkedin.com acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 64. It's titled, The Pitfalls of Private Real Estate Investing. 64 episodes over a year of the podcast, and I've not done an episode on investing in rental real estate. There are some fine podcasts out there that cover it, and so I I chose not to cover it for a couple reasons. Well, first off, even though I've spent much of my investment career, assisting institutional clients in investing in private real estate. They invested in office buildings, skyscrapers, apartments, building lots, rental storage unit type facilities, and all different types, both private. I've assisted them in investing in real estate investment trust, which are securities that in in turn hold private real estate. I've co-founded a direct alternatives group that identified and did, conducted due diligence on real estate managers, I myself had never, except for owning some land from owning homes, had never invested my own capital in a private real estate deal. In other words, I've not bought any rental real estate before up until last year. So I couldn't speak from experience, direct experience. I could always speak from an institutional side, investing in funds. So I knew how to identify a, a top-tier real estate manager. I just hadn't gotten my hands dirty in owning an actual property up until now. Although I don't own it anymore, so <laughs> which is hence the topic, the pitfalls of private real estate investing. About 13 months ago, our realtor, who, who I've known for a number of years, he is a real estate investor himself, he's a contractor, he's very, very tied into our local market. He called me up one day and said, you need to come see this property today. And so I, I went with Laprille and we looked at this single family home. It was built in, I believe, the late 50s. It was an interesting home because you had the main brick home. Then attached to it was this A-frame sort of cabin-type structure. And in the back, there was three garages. There was a two-car garage, a little storage shed, and then a separate kind of garage. So essentially, there was space for three cars. And what was interesting is this particular property had been owned by the founder of a, a brickyard, and by brickyard, a, a yard that sold bricks and stone, and so there was a lot of pavement. In other words, there wasn't a whole lot of landscaping. There was some, it was, it was tasteful, but there was a lot of pavers, and it was, it was an ideal setup, potentially, for a rental unit. Now, we looked at it, and and because this had been in a state and it hadn't hit the market yet, we had to make the decision very, very quickly and kind of look at it. And and there was a couple things in our favor. One, well, first off, when you invest in private real estate or any investment, particularly when it's something outside of traditional securities markets, when well, you're not using some type of passive investment strategy, when you're going to try to add value somehow, you need to, to focus on, well, what, what is your competitive edge? What type of informational insight do you have to allow you to be successful at this investment? And in my case, what I knew was the local zoning laws. I had spent six years on our planning and zoning commission, so I I was there during the heart of the real estate boom, and so I knew our zoning, and I knew this particular property was in this zone called the Ped Zone, which is a a area right around the private college. We have a private school university in our town. is about 15,000 students, and we, we had set up this zone right around there where essentially builders could build five or six story units and, and so which which means the land if you can build a five or six story unit it potentially is is a much more expensive piece of property and so as we looked at this property we were really going to buy it for the value of the land and so the property itself was i think i, I won't I won't get in the numbers but it was it was under 200,000 for the property and my first question to my realtor is well because he he invests in real estate why aren't you buying this if this is such a great deal and potentially we're buying it for about half of what the land could be worth if a builder came along and wanted to build a five or six-story apartment building why aren't you buying it and which is a in my mind a valid question and and in his case there he had some He had just bought another property, and so he didn't have the liquidity to necessarily buy this unit. And so we looked at it, and what was going to be interesting about this was going to be there. There was an opportunity down the road to sell the property and say flip 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 the property, I guess, to a developer. But the key thing would be it would be a core real estate deal, so unleveraged, low risk, and the opportunity. To because there was so much construction going on, to have construction workers come live in this apartment, and they would they would essentially you could put six or eight or ten construction workers here, and and they wouldn't need to furnish it, and potentially get a yield of fifteen to seventeen percent. That seemed like a great opportunity, and if that didn't work out, there there's a, a number of beauty school, beauty schools, hairstylist schools, I'm not even using the right word. Well, you know what I mean. Where they're training hairstylists to learn how to cut hair and potentially could rent to five or six uh, of these students. So it would be almost dorm-like and a pretty high yield because with the potential for this particular property to be bought out, We wouldn't need to do much work on it. We just hold it. We could rent it out, and it seemed like a no-brainer. So we put an offer on, and because it was an estate, the owner, it was actually the the brick founder's mom that had lived there. She had passed away, and she had a reverse mortgage on on this building. And what a reverse mortgage is, you essentially, the mortgage company, instead of you borrowing money and getting a lump sum with a, with a reverse mortgage, the mortgage company actually sends the, these elderly retirees a check every month. So essentially, you're spending down the equity in your home. They're not necessarily good or bad. The fees can be really high for these reverse mortgages. You have to look at them very closely. But for some retirees, it's, it's a viable option, and that's what this particular retiree had done. The challenge is our offer ended up being less than what was owed to the reverse mortgage company. So we had to bump it up another five to $10,000. It took forever for this property to close, about a month for the offer to finally be accepted and to get closed. And so we had it. We had our first rental property. I just said, well, I'm going to go get a property manager. So I got a property manager, had him come visit, and he said, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of construction workers that can come stay here. There is Maybe I can check around, but there's a couple downsides to this. One, if you bring in construction workers, your neighbors are going to hate you because they they smoke, they drink, they're noisy, and it ends up being somewhat of a party house. And I... <laughs> Thought maybe I don't want that. The other red flag is I said, "Well, what, what about the zoning aspect of that? What about the permits?" And this particular property manager was sort of laid back about it in the sense that he said, "Oh yeah, we'll handle that. Besides, we're in. You're, this is Idaho. There, there really isn't a whole lot you have to do." Now, after six years on planning and zoning commission, I knew that wasn't quite the case and then I I asked him about so I I made some calls I knew some construction some contractors to just kind of see is it true there really isn't this market for construction workers to come live in our apartment and and he, he verified so most at least at that point that had gone away and it was most of the construction workers around town were locals and didn't need a place to live. So I started making some more calls. And this this is pitfall number one. Even if there's pressure to do the deal because of timing, at least do some additional due diligence. So I made some other calls. It turned out the beauty students coming, or the hairstylist school students, wasn't going to work out either. And I called another property developer that I knew. And he happened to mention that there was... The way this private school works is they give permission to build these five-story apartment buildings because the students, they have what's called approved housing. And the waiting list to be able to build one of the apartment buildings was about five years, which meant there wasn't going to be a developer coming in the next year to purchase this property at twice what we paid. And and I quickly realized what was going to be A what's known as a cap rate. And a cap rate in the institutional real estate space is your net cash flow, net annual cash flow divided by what you paid for the building. So your gross rents, less expensive taxes, insurance, and perhaps some repair cost. Divide that total cash by your purchase price that gets your cap rate. It was going to be 15 to 17% had we been able to rent out to construction workers and not have to do any type of investment in the property that wasn't going to be the case we needed to do some investment and and so i had a contractor that i knew that had done work on our our home and And I trusted him. And and that's the key. You need advisors that you can trust, even if the advisors have flaws. And most most advisors or contractors, they they run businesses and they're not perfect. And it became pretty clear that our contractor was not perfect. And, And when we talk about pitfalls is understand your role because... When I talk about some of the challenges we had as we decided to invest more money in this building, in my mind, I was thinking, I'm hiring a general contractor. They're going to get it done. But in reality, in the contractor's mind, they were a contractor. I was the general contractor, which means I'm the one that needed to manage the job, not necessarily them. And that, not understanding the roles, became a little bit of a challenge down the road. So we looked at this, we brought the contractor in, and one reason I like them is because they're pretty creative in terms of taking this this single-family home. How can we convert this into a rental property? And we decided we're going to convert it into a triplex. So we're going to put a wall between the house and the A-frame, and the A-frame would be this really cool studio apartment. It had a circular staircase that went up into a loft, and... And so it, would, it was going to be essentially a studio with a lot. And then we were going to divide the basement of the house and the upstairs, and those would each be their own apartments. And so our our yield on this, which was going to be 15, 17 percent, was was dropping down to 10 percent or so, except that, you know the, the bid, as I look back, that I didn't quite get a firm. Bid on the project. I got a, a, an estimate, and and this is where I realized that you know, this wasn't. I was the general contractor because the bids would come in like project at a time. So here's what it's going to cost to put the door in. Here's what it's going to cost to put one kitchen in, perhaps the other. And it wasn't. It wasn't a complete project. It was a piecemeal effort and having never done a project like this. I wasn't quite sure. I kind of had an, I mean, we kind of ballparked what it was going to be. But we went in. The first surprise was realizing I get a call from my contractor. He says, uh, the city says the permits for this is going to be $6,000. And I about fell on the floor. And so I went into the city And because I'd been on planning and zoning commission for many years, I knew the players and I said, how can, this is a little conversion, how can this be $6,000? And and they walk through and we have something in our town called the impact fees, which pays for when you do a conversion like this or a big unit, it's about $1,200, $2,000 per unit to actually that goes to the parks, goes to the fire department. And, and I remembered I'm the one that passed this and, and actually walked it through. And now it's coming back to bite. And so the fees were $6,000. We paid them and, and the work continued. And this was, went through the summer. And I remember getting a call from the contractor saying, you know, you might want to go get some renters because we're going to be done in a couple weeks. And I thought, there's no way they're going to be done in a couple of weeks. And so I didn't get renters. In fact, I didn't, we didn't actually rent. That. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Time passed. They continue to work. And here's how contractors work, at least from my experience. Maybe they don't do this elsewhere. They like to start jobs. They're not real keen on finishing them. They would rather have, they're like juggling balls. They keep five or six projects or balls up in the air at once. And whoever screams the loudest gets the most attention. I'm not a screamer. I'd rather they just just do it. I don't want to badger people to get the work done. And as the general contractor, that was my job and it wasn't a job I wanted to do. And as a result, November came and it still wasn't done. And but it was close and it was time to bring in the final inspection. And and the idea was I'm going to rent this in December. We're going to be good. The final inspection, the inspector from the city comes. He looks at the work. The kitchens look good. We, get, so we got we've put in we put in a kitchen downstairs or an existing kitchen upstairs. We put a kitchen in the studio. We we separated it out. Everything seemed fine. And I actually didn't go, I didn't go to meet with the with the inspector. I went afterwards. I figured. They're my contractor. I'm like, th- they're going to deal with it. So I, I meet with them man after about an hour, and I said, well, how did it go? And they said, well, we're pretty good. There were a couple issues. The The main issue is he says we need to have a separate heating source for each unit. And I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, each unit needs their own furnace. This, this is a house with one furnace. This, this is a little bit of a setback, and it, 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 and there, there was that, and, and a number of the windows aren't big enough. You're going to have to replace a number of windows, and the fire barrier between the upstairs and the downstairs isn't good enough. We're going to have to put in more sheetrock between the ceilings. So... It turns out we actually, in the studio, there was a gas fireplace, which was going to be enough to heat that. So we only needed to put in a new furnace. Now, this is where a couple things. One, this contractor hadn't done this type of work before in terms of the conversion. So they weren't as familiar with the rules as they should have been. As a general contractor, I should have known the rules. I didn't know the rules. But they were creative in figuring out how to get a new furnace in and new and separate if we're going to do a new furnace then we're going to charge each unit separately for their gas. we're going to put a new meter, so we're going to go ahead and put in new hot water heaters and essentially, there was going to be a delay in the project. They said they could be they could have it done in three weeks, so I still get my renters in i start December comes I start getting my renters. I put up a website and I came to another pitfall. I had no idea what rents were. And it turns out rents were not as high as I thought. So my yield, again, is falling. The other thing I realized I just didn't know is people really, really wanted a washer and dryer hookup in their apartments and... And this is something I just hadn't monitored. There just weren't as many laundromats as they used to be. And we hadn't put washer and dryer hookups in. And so we were able to rent the studio to our friends because that was done. But the other apartments weren't complete yet. And this, this is coming through December. And we're heading to Phoenix at the beginning of January. We're going to be gone for two months. And it was, it was getting really close to the wire. The job wasn't done. I'm trying to get the contractor to do it. And I get the one renters in and we decide, all right, I'm just not, I'm not going to rent the rest of the apartment until we get back from Arizona in March in California. Because I don't want calls in while I'm gone that I can't handle. Because I never could find a property manager. I was going to do it myself in order to bump up my income. So our renters move in, in December, and here's another pitfall when you're the manager. Renters have a right to call you when they have a problem. And they called me on New Year's Eve at 8 p.m. to say, we don't have any hot water. And I thought, oh, crap. Because I don't know how to fix stuff like that. So I go over there, and I, I see these three hot water heaters. I'm not sure which one goes to their apartment, but it doesn't appear... Uh, to be on, and it the, the, what it turned out is the pipes were frozen, and, and I I called the contractor because I didn't know who else to call, and they fixed things. They're a repair shop. He came, he solved the issue and realized what it was and why it had happened and won't happen again. So it got it got taken care of, but it, it left me with a really bad taste because it turns out having left my professional investment career. Several years ago, I just don't like people to call me up when they need something, so particularly – I mean, renters have an absolute, have absolute right to call me up, but I just – I hated the idea of somebody calling me with a problem that I had to solve. And so – and I got another call while you we were gone about the internet, and I realized I have to get a property manager for this unit. I'm just not going to do it myself. While we were in Arizona, I got a call out of the blue. And it was a guy I hadn't heard of. And he says, I'd like to buy your apartment. But he didn't come across as terribly professional. It was very, I, I didn't know who he was. I thought he was toying with me, honestly. And he, he just, and, and we had a number of conversations. I said, well, when I get back, come, come look at it. And so when I, we got back, in March, the apartment still wasn't done. Our contractor hadn't finished the work. Now, the advantage of this contractor is he never billed us. He had done work for six months. I'd paid him once about $15,000. He hadn't paid us for anything. And and, and of that 15000 6000 went to the city for fees. So he had been doing all this work without billing me. And so I thought, well, he's not going to bill me, then I'm not going to pay him. And the job's not done. So I got on the phone. We worked it out. And that's the key with contractors. You don't want to burn bridges because if these are people you trust, and I did trust them. I, I did trust them. I didn't necessarily like their time management, but I, I, I appreciated their creativity in figuring out how to get furnaces in and, and do the duct work and how to make this work. I appreciated their honesty. I liked the fact they didn't bill me. For many many months, so I didn't have to put capital in, but I didn't like the fact that, that the job hadn't got done. So we worked through it, and I had the guy that wanted to buy the apartment come and see it, and he just he just came and looked at it, and and he's standing there with his property manager, and I said, "Well, what do you think?" And they just they just kind of stood there, not saying anything, and and not having been in this situation, it was it was a little awkward, just just sort of hemming and hawing, and and I finally said, well, why don't I let you guys think about it, and I'm going to leave. Two hours later, they're still standing in the parking lot, still thinking about it. And so I never got an offer. I decided to go find a property manager. I asked around again, and I just couldn't find one. But one of the people I talked to was a realtor, and and she gave me really some insight into the fact that, you know, what's this property worth as being part of this bed zone from a developer? And gave me some comps and it turned out the property itself might not even be worth as much as I thought, even five years down the road. So now I have this property and I couldn't find anyone to manage it because it turns out with property managers, their incentive is is to rent it for as low as possible. And I just didn't want to take the low rents. My yield, which had been seventeen percent, that I thought was going to be ten, was now dropping down to seven to eight percent, and that that seemed low to me. So it was at this point I decided, you know, with that the, the problem with our town is there seems to be a cap on rents. The way the way that rent real estate goes up in value is you have to raise the rent, so your cash flow goes up. And the other thing I realized is if there seems to be a cap on rents because of competition, as interest rates go up, if my rents aren't going up, the value of my property is going down. And it was at that point that I decided, I just think I want to sell it. So I contacted my realtor, and I wanted to get an idea what cap rates were, what were building selling for and they were selling at six and a half to seven percent cap rates which means you take your your net rent and divide it by the cap rate and that gets your value and I, I looked at that amount and by then I had paid my contractor they had got done and I thought hey I could make a decent return on this apartment if I sell it now and so he listed it and and I said you should talk to this guy that I, that I spoke to that wanted to, 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 to buy the building and, and see if he's interested. And at the end of the day, he convinced the guy that I originally meant to buy the building. He worked with the negotiation. It's like, I guess I could have negotiated, but he got it through. It finally closed last week. We made about 17% for a 13-month holding period. So it ended well, but I realized that real estate is a lot of work. And unless you can find the ideal property manager that you buy a turnkey building, which this wasn't, this is what's known, this was value-added real estate. So you have core real estate where you it's fully rented. You just buy the building. You collect your rents. And there's value-added real estate projects where you, you, you go in, you invest in the building, you come up with these pitfalls, you overcome them. I don't know if this is a typical project. Many, many times when you invest, you learn as you go. We learned as we got, went with this investment. It ended well. I realized I don't want to be a property manager, and I much prefer paper assets, stocks, bonds, other type of investments where I just don't have to get my hands dirty because it's just not necessarily a skill set of mine. So understand who you are as an investor. And, and real estate can, can be profitable. I mean, I, I had a pretty good return for 13 months, but you have to know what type of investor you are. And, and sometimes you just don't realize it without actually doing it. We learned, we learned from the experience. And that is episode 64. Any questions, you can email me, jd at com. Show notes for this episode, and I'm not sure there are going to be any, but for other episodes, show notes are at net. That's awesome. You can sign up for my insider's guide, and I'll email those show notes to you weekly. That's awesome. I'm sending other valuable content, including samples of pretty valuable content or interesting content we're doing on The Money for the Rest of Us Hub. The hub is closed for new members currently, but will be opening in September, opening in batches now so that we have a really on-hands introductory process for new members. So you can get information on that at moneyfortherestofushub.com and sign up for an email list, and I'll notify you when we're opening it up to new members everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. It's simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.